Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, welcome back. Before we dive in, we want to tell you about a free course you can download called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This is a course that will help you understand how to navigate those first days and weeks of broken trust where you've been betrayed or you've broken the trust. And there's lots of videos and resources and ideas to help you navigate these difficult and chaotic times as you try and rebuild trust in your relationship. You can download this course by clicking on the link in the show notes and we'll send it to you right away. It's been super helpful to lots of people. Mm-hmm. All right then. Well, what are we going to talk about, hun? Well, one thing I've noticed with a lot of guys, we're going to talk about authenticity for mm. a minute. It's kind of a big buzzword. Yeah. People say, I'm just being authentic. Yeah. You, know, you heard all the time. Yeah. But I think in the, in the recovery journey for a lot of and I work mostly with guys that are rebuilding trust. That's the bulk of my practice. Mm-hmm. So, but it goes both ways. Yeah. So maybe we'll just call that person the recovering partner. Okay. So the recovering partner in the relationship, especially where there's been secrecy, there's been, you know, manipulation, hiding, gaslighting, you're basically being, you know, posing. Mm-hmm. They're moving from that state of inauthenticity. Yeah. Of incongruence to a state of being real open, honest. Yeah. But a lot of the times what they're really thinking and feeling and experiencing in the world can be highly triggering or difficult for their betrayed partner. Okay. Say more about that. So for example, it can involve things like needs and preferences and wants and desires. It can be how they might be reacting or responding to, let's say the betrayed partner, you know, how their behavior is impacting them. Okay. It could be reflecting on patterns from the past that maybe don't directly have anything to do with this issue. It could be just new realizations or new parts of themselves that maybe they've discovered or awakened. Mm. Anything that really for them starts to feel like, or another example is maybe as they're, you know, maybe changing their opinion or their view or their allegiance to certain things, institutions, religion, their job, their career, they a lot of times will start to discover things. I mean, the recovery process for someone is they're coming out of this place of a lot of the times just living like a double life and not being themselves. They they have this realization that they are wanting to commit to being true to themselves. Sure. And for a lot of people, it's it's a discovery of things that maybe they've never been able to say or they didn't even know they were numbing out or avoiding. Yeah. So this can this whole idea of of showing up authentically can be really scary and terrifying for one or both people. Yeah. It can create a lot of energy. Okay. And so a question I get asked a lot is, well how do I as the recovering partner, how do I stay true to that? How do I stay authentic to what's going on for me and not trigger or upset my partner mm. who you know, I've been trying to help feel safe or I've been trying to 
tend to and care about and rebuild trust and safety for them. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, you know, I it's like I have to maybe do that at the expense of my own mm-hmm. yeah, feelings. They may have, all right. Yeah, they may have really built some like reliable patterns in their relationship yeah. around inauthenticity there. Mm-hmm. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, that hmm. It's a dilemma. Yeah, that is a dilemma. Yeah. Do you think that this circumstance is different than others where each partner is just responsible for their own triggers? I think ultimately to solve this issue, mm-hmm. that's where you have to go. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a lot of maturity. I think it takes a lot of courage and willingness to self-confront and to look at how you're responding to things. This can be a very, it's interesting. It's its a connected process, meaning that you're, you know, you're possibly sharing and revealing parts of yourself or you know or all of yourself if, as it were to your partner mm-hmm. so there's a relational component to it there but then there's very much an individual responsibility piece of it it's like the the whole differentiation model which sure. is that pull of you know belonging to ourselves and belonging to another person the pull of i don't want to lose me but i also don't want to lose you and so a lot of people will sometimes subvert or hide themselves mm-hmm. in an effort to hold on to the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so when that gets revealed, it really can create a crisis because they're afraid they're going to lose their partner or they're going to hurt their partner. And I think that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I, I am genuinely curious because the, the circumstance is a little bit more nuanced Yeah, that those rules not apply when couples are rebuilding from betrayal. I'm guessing I didn't answer your question earlier. Oh, I guess because you thought you just answered that. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately. I, but I agree. I think ultimately, yes, okay, I see what you're saying. Do those rules apply? I think the word is nuance. I think that Okay. I think in a pure sense, yes, you have to take ownership. I'm gonna take one more quick detour yeah, sure, that relates, sure. but yeah. I hope everybody can stay Good. with me on this. Okay. I think this is from the betrayed partner's perspective, I think that there is a an equal dilemma of I want to see this person who's been hidden from me. I want to know them and I want them to know me, Mm -hmm. but maybe there are some things I don't want to know. Maybe there can be this this fear that what if what they want means that it'll take something from me that I've needed for my healing or that would help me feel safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that can create a real dilemma for them where they might shut down any communication. They might shut down any expressing of things because they feel like it's insensitive Mm. or not compassionate or understanding, or maybe it's blaming Mm -hmm. critical. So it creates a lot of fear that if we mutualize this, that our our needs and feelings and wants and desires are equally weighted, then maybe I won't be able to heal. Mm -hmm. So I think that yes, ultimately, Everybody has to take responsibility for their own triggers. But I think as you're working with a couple dealing with betrayal and coming out of patterns of abuse or gaslighting or these kinds of things, there has to be a lot of sensitivity to the impact that your experience is going to have on your partner. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that that can't ultimately be the goal to be fully seen and to be fully known by somebody else. Sure. I'm also thinking that in addition to that, when you are the betrayed partner, Somebody verbalizing that their authenticity doesn't necessarily convince me that that's a thing. So he might be saying, this is me, I'm trying to show up authentically, but he's been 
doing all this lying and deceiving and it might not feel congruent. There might be something there that doesn't feel right. And like, it's okay to question it. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those types of things, a a trigger around that kind of stuff seems very important. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I think the trigger is, has to be met with compassion from both people. I think the trigger has to, has to be a reflection of I don't know what's real. I don't know what's true. Mm-hmm. And so I've got this speed bump set up here or and maybe a much stronger barrier than a speed bump. You know, maybe a, what are those arms that they put like that go up and down anyway? Oh yeah. Yeah. A guardrail Guard, or something. Yeah. Something like that. Uh-huh. Something that just basically stops the flow of traffic that says like, wait a second, I don't know what's real. Like you said, mm-hmm. I think that's an important piece of this because it doesn't mean that you can't hold on to how, what you feel and think right. as the recovering partner. Right. It just means that it's probably going to need to go through customs. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I like that. It's going to have to go through some checkpoints here mm-hmm. and it's going to be inconvenient, mm-hmm. possibly as inconvenient as TSA. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah. Because I mean, let's talk about, I mean, TSA as an analogy is a really good one because it's based on mistrust. Right. You go into TSA and it's like you immediately, everybody's like, we don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And yet you have to prove you're trustworthy to get through that. Well, which is appropriate because you have given this person every reason to not believe right. you're going to mean what you say exactly. or keep your promises or. Exactly. And you have to tolerate that. If you're going to be a safe person, you can't blow past the security checkpoint with that trigger. Right. And act like, well, I'm just going to be authentic, you know? I mean, that's going to send a very different signal, which is that, okay, you're authentic, but you're also inconsiderate and controlling. And I mean, there's, right. it's just going to get into a bunch of other things. Right. Well, and I'm thinking that maybe a piece that, that is under that, that has a big effect on it is that somebody who comes through TSA and has nothing to hide might be marginally inconvenienced if their suitcase has to get opened and looked, picked through. And then they're just like, pat down. Right. They're just like, yeah, see, there's nothing there, nothing to see here. And then you move on. But when somebody does have something to hide, those kinds of things, no matter how many times they are telling you, there's nothing here, there's nothing here. I'm authentic. This is the real me. Yeah. If it needs a closer look and they're bothered, that seems to be problematic. Yeah. That seems to be a red flag of some kind. Right. And I recognize that it's just like, again, the, the, the airport security example, it's inconvenient. It's hard sure. to be mistrusted. It's going to trigger, you know, to not be trusted by someone does bring up our own reactions. Yeah. It's painful. We like people to see the best in us. Yes. And so it's difficult to continually be under examination like that. Sure. Especially when you feel like you've maybe finally arrived at something authentic. I think for a lot of people, recovering partners, they feel like this is real. Everything else I was giving you, like I, I can maybe understand and get that that wasn't honest. Oh yeah, you can reject all the parts of me that I, weren't the real parts. The of me. throwaway parts that yeah, where I was you know using that to manipulate. But this is real, and how dare you? Mm. You know, there can be almost this entitlement that I shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that's what that I was you shouldn't at, question the entitlement. this. Mm-hmm. And it's like no, it's okay for them to question it. But like you said, if it's real, it'll hold up. Yeah. And hopefully what's real about it also involves compassion. What's real, the authentic self, hopefully as a compassionate self. Mm-hmm. It's a self that makes room for accountability and, and the, the impact you've had on your partner. But I do think it's important for the betrayed partner ultimately to 
take responsibility and understand what, like what's coming up for them on that. Sure. Not just put it back on the recovering partner and just say like, well, you're just not safe. So like, we're not going to have this conversation. Yeah. You I'd, need to I'd, understand what you're reacting to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going forward. Like what? And maybe that's not together for a minute. Maybe mm-hmm. you just need sure. to go journal about it or talk to someone. But for you to get clear on like, what is that trigger about? What's coming up for you? This isn't just the job of the recovering partner to find the right combination of words that's going to make you comfortable. Right. I think accountability and compassion and sensitivity is paramount when rebuilding trust. But I think the betrayed partner can learn a lot about herself or himself, yeah. whoever, you know, they can learn a lot about themselves from the trigger. Yeah. Like, what absolutely. am I afraid of? What do I need? Uh huh. What's what, this bringing up in me that, exactly. that needs attention? What story does this tie into? And I think that that's a really healthy exploration to look at. And the couple, I think, can actually in some ways become closer mm-hmm. through the sharing of these things. Yeah. Now, this is high level stuff. This is not easy to do. And I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that this is just an easy thing. It's developed, it's it's practiced. Mm -hmm. But I think it meets that need of recognizing that we want the person who's recovering from a life of secrecy and crossing lines, they need to know themselves and to be known for real, authentically. Yeah. The betrayed partner needs to know them and see them and also be seen. It's yeah, critical that everyone their own self and yeah. but there's a triage element to it. There's a a reality that has to be addressed, which is this is going to be very frightening and very unfamiliar, and it will be need need to be preceded with caution. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Anything else on this that's coming up for you? No, I don't think so. Not that we haven't really talked about. I have one last you thought. Have something. Yeah. Okay. The, the last thought, and this is something I encourage a lot of the recovering partners I work with, there's this fear they have that they'll never be known either by the, by other people or by, by their partner, but they can almost have an urgency to be known and seen because mm-hmm. to them, it's like this new discovery a lot of the times of what they've learned about themselves in their process. And they, they feel like for a lot of them, it's stuff maybe they weren't even sharing before and they, and the addiction sure. or the affair or this sort of like departure, this other damaging kind of way they handled it was in response to just not speaking up or not not acting on it or not dealing with it, which I believe their partner probably could have handled if they had handled it in a healthy way. Sure. I think the couple probably could have worked through it. They convinced themselves it would have made things worse. So a lot of the times- Okay. It, and it's not always a conscious process. I don't want to say like it's- Yeah. It's always Deliberate like, well, choices. because I can't, I got to, you know, it's not like that yeah. all the time. But as they heal, they start to discover, oh, wow, I've had these feelings a long time, or I believe this, I've needed this for a long time, and yeah. I've not been able to act on it. And then there could be an urgency, like, well, if we're going to heal, if I'm going to heal, if this is going to heal, they have to know this. And you can get really pushy about it. You can get really anxious about it, and you can get almost demanding and forceful. Okay. And that's where I'm saying to the recovering partners out there, please slow down. Okay, Sure. If the relationship is going to heal long-term, if there is going to be a long-term safe connection in the relationship, you will be seen and known. Yeah. That will happen. That has to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. And it's important to, to wait until the conditions can you know sustain that. And that's where both people have to really stretch and grow. But there's a lot of things that have to happen before that's something that you'll have the chance to do. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So- I do have one thing I would like to add that I think sure. is worth mentioning is if you as the recovering partner 
find yourself doing a lot of verbalizing of how authentic you're being. Or if you as the betrayed partner are find yourself hearing that a lot, that's something worth looking at. Yeah. Because it, if you are showing up authentically, you don't have to convince anybody of anything. You just keep being the real you. Yeah, that's right. And that will play out. It might take longer than you would like, but you just keep being that person and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think that consistency will actually help rebuild trust for the betrayed sure. partner because sure. they'll be like, oh, this person this actually is, is this person. And they keep, yeah, they, they're still doing this. They're not shape-shifting. Right. That's yeah. going to feel very safe to them. Mm -hmm. But just talking about it instead of just letting the reality speak for itself can be both a smokescreen and a trigger. Yeah. Good point. So, Yeah. So we're big fans of authenticity. Yeah. We're also big fans of compassion. Yes. And accountability and trying to do things in an order that promotes safety and relational awareness. And I think you can meet all those needs. It just will take longer and probably feel more indirect than maybe you'd like. Mm, yeah. But that's okay. Yep. If you're in this for the long haul, there's yeah, time for there's that. Time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you did today. Thank you. Yeah. We'll catch you guys in the next episode.